Hi, welcome to Culture Dumps. I'm Parks Miller. And I'm Ryan Lichten. And yeah, changing up a bit. Uh, it's uh, me doing an outline this time, kind of leading something that I guess I didn't even really quite realize, but it is uh, close to my heart. Um, <laughs> it's close I guess to I'm, I'm something. Ca- <laughs> um, I guess I, I, you know, I tend to, you know, gravitate towards the musical dumps more. Um, and so this is completely in that uh, realm. It's a two live crew. That's what we're talking about here today. Yeah. And this is one that we've had like in our heads from the start, just cause it's so like dirty and it was such a big thing. And again, some of these musical dumps, I feel like are only dumps in the context of today's music. Cause we don't really get down on artists anymore for being super vulgar or anything. Like we're, we're more concerned about who they are as an actual person and how they live their personal Mm, life. We don't really give a shit if there's like a billion cuss words or nasty things in their songs. It doesn't really hit people the same way as it used to back when all this two live crew was happening, you know? Right. But maybe that's, maybe that's also an extension of it, you know, is that the fact that the, the boundaries of kind of extreme behavior or art has been pushed so far that it's almost like there's nowhere to go, but then like actually examining who the person was yeah or something yeah basically um, but yeah i and i'll i'm, I'm actually going to talk a little about myself too in this because i was influenced by two life crew in a very strange way um <laughs> uh in a in a band i was in not the thing i told you about right before we started recording ryan yeah. but uh so let's get <laughs> let's get into an intro uh here so two live crew they hold a place as one of the most notorious and controversial rap groups of all time can't really dispute that um, I mean, they they pushed the boundaries of lyrical content, like sexual content, not to say that they were the first people to do it, but they really did take it to another place. Yeah. And I mean, they had their day in court literally over it. Um, the the album na- as nasty as they want to be, you know, it was a huge media circus trial sensation. Um, right. And then also their follow-up album banned in the usa was the first album to have the iconic black and white parental advisory explicit content sticker on it and probably very well deserved very well deserved i mean like basically what two life crew did for uh for music it's like you know like when nwa came out and they were really pushing this like voice of the inner city like fuck the police, like, shit like that. Like, there was a lot of violent, like, gangsta imagery and shit. And, like, Ice-T, like, Two Live Crew was doing that, but for sex. Mm-hmm. Like, right. Where right. Their, their big thing was, like... Or Ice Cube, not Ice-T. Or, but I mean, Ice-T was it, also being... Yeah, you know, like, too. there was, like, yeah, gangster rap that was, like, really showing, like, and shining a light on, like, the violence of, like, inner city life and drug dealing and stuff. Yeah. Two Live Crew was, like, shining a light on, like, just nasty sex. It's sex. It's so obsessed with sex. It's crazy. And I mean, we'll talk about the lyrics, but I mean, listening to this stuff, I mean, there's just, I'm like, oh my God, (laughs) I'm shocked. Still. can't help it. Yeah, still. Still. Um, Another big thing about them was the the women featured prominently in their music videos and concerts was, it was very influential to like the rap style, like kind of the fabulous life, like part of the the rock star rap star version of like you got the chains you got the money you got the cars and you got these like the women with the big booties and the thongs yeah and i feel like that two live crew kind of like that was sort of their mark 
in a way of as far as like the image of hip hop. Right. Like we wouldn't have into that. We wouldn't have the uh, big pimpin video without. Right. Exactly. Yes. And we're going to talk about Jay-Z later, too, which uh, I love. There's a little nugget of Jay-Z. Yeah, that's like the best part of the (laughs) whole thing. But yeah. Um, But also also just the treatment of women, too, was like an issue that kind of like is still resident of in hip in like sort of a male dominated genre of music. Um, the other big thing about them is that they were like pioneers of like booty bass or Miami bass music. And they were kind of one of the first, really like the first big Southern hip hop, uh, like success group because you had, you had the New York, it started in like New York and LA and you had like those two factions. You had this like East coast, West coast thing. And that was like primarily where hip hop was in the eighties. Um, so two live crew coming out, they like put Miami on the map in terms of like being like a rap destination. Right. Um, and I feel like the big difference between like LA or like between like the West coast, East coast thing is like those rappers and artists were really kind of pushing the lifestyle differences from like coast to coast. Whereas like the closer you get, like into the middle of the country or in the South, it's a little bit more broad. Like for instance, um, on podcast 99, we talked about the Detroit scene and how like, you know, like horrorcore and, and that kind of stuff came like the wicked shit came out of that, where mm-hmm. it was like this made up thing right. where it's like, they were just talking about like the most evil shit they could think of. And then in Miami right. and like in the South, it seems like there was a lot more like kind of dance influence and more of like a party yes. theme rather than yeah. like, it's so hard growing up here. You're going to get shot. It was more like right. booty, 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 booty. You know what I mean? And yeah, it's like exactly. kind of a more, fun thing yeah yeah definitely like a party thing and i mean also maybe that's like the lifestyle in a way like sort of taking the gang like you said the gangster extremes of like this crime and violence and then applying that to sex and then just having these (laughs) extreme depictions of sex but like you said the party lifestyle another thing about two live crew is their aesthetic their vibe uh really kind of fit in and fed into something that is Possibly worth a dump, though has been covered enough. But uh, f- the Freaknik phenomenon of the '90s, uh, and and they didn't start Freaknik, but like those two things just kind of fell into each other so well. And you had this like crazy spring break culture, which also you know we had our spring break episode. Right, Two Life Crew Freaknik is briefly. spring break music. They are like yeah, they are a spring break band. Um, and so I do want to acknowledge that there there is a podcast that does a very deep dive on Two Live Crew called a uh, Mogul by Gimlet Media. It's a it's a hip hop theme thing, and some of a couple like real great details I got from listening to that. But we're gonna do it. We're gonna do it culture dump style, you know. Yeah. Um. So why is it a dump? Uh. First off, I would say like the music, the style, their fashion, the videos of Two Live Crew. It is so hundred percent like '90s as fuck, you right. know. It's just so 90s. So just when you watch it, sexual content aside, it's kind of hilarious. Just be like, this is so 90s, you know? Yeah, it's a very um, 90s thing in rap to like talk about like condoms and like rubbers. Yeah, or Jimmy like, hat. Jimmy like, hat. Yeah, Jimmy hats and raincoats. And like more importantly, yeah. to talk about like not using them. Like to mention right. them to specifically say that you don't use them. That's like such a thing of the time. Uh, yes. you know, for a lot of different fucking reasons, but yeah, there's a lot of that happening with two live crew that makes them a dump. But I mean, like you, like, you know, parks is going to tell you guys, it's the controversy is really what makes us stand out to us as like being yes. historically relevant enough for us to throw into the same pot as uh beanie babies or Millie Vanilli. <laughs> right. Because it had this, it had this huge moment 
and then it's kind of faded away. And and I mean, it still has the impact. I mean, if you ask someone who knows, like they will still tell you about like two live crew. It's not that two live crew got forgotten, but the fever pitch in which their controversy reached is dump worthy because it was just so intense. And like, you kind of have to dig, you can like put on like me so horny or whatever and be like, Oh, that's, that's like two live crew, blah, blah, blah. But you actually have to dive into like, see how much people were freaking out about two live crew at the time. And some of those issues you had, you had this freedom of speech issue. You had this issue with like the treatment and object, objectification of women and misogyny and then you had this race issue um sort of like a white versus black like these white conservative christians who hated their music and then like the young brash unapologetic black males who were saying like we're just doing this because this is our free speech and so this was all taking place like on a national stage yeah. on tv in the courts um and it's very interesting to see uh those how those uh issues like yeah like how you would think about them today um, and then also we, you know, we recently just last year, there was like a big deal about that Cardi B and Megan the Stallion song WAP. Yeah. So like the idea of having a sexually explicit rap song that is controversial, I mean, is as fresh as 2020, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And so. you know, and the, and the thing is, it's like with the with the Cardi B song it's you know you, there's the added element of like well this is from the female perspective so there's like an mm -hmm. empowerment thing going into it which we d right. discussed on our Lilith Fair episode with Two Live Crew it's literally like a gang of dudes grabbing their dicks and like talking yes. about getting ass and like right. it doesn't like there's really no empowerment there because no one's ever really been holding men back from doing that so it's like a very like grandiose just like again like it's it's the audible version of uh grabbing your dick and like holding your middle finger right right but there but i will say that there is but then at the same time you know if you get into it you know black male sexuality can still there, there's just very threatening very, to white America. Very it's very threatening, threatening to white yeah. America. So you have this weird thing where it's like you can't one doesn't really have one kind of it like intersects with the other because you have this sort of the male and female thing and then the race issue, too. And they don't fit nicely and neatly into one thing. So you have people fighting for the free speech of these black men, but then some of the lyrics are just like pretty fucking horrible. To women. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. It's, it's, like, a, it's a tough call. Like you really have to defend the first battle. amendment, like tooth and nail. Yeah. If you're going to defend two live crew, because some of the shit is like, I don't want to say inexcusable, but it's like, it's hard to do. Like, it's hard to get up there and be like, you know what it like, they can say whatever they want. It's like, okay, but it's pretty bad. Like I'll it's, say it is, of, it is pretty bad. <laughs> some of it's bad and there and there's some dirt on these guys and they, they did some sketchy shit um but yeah that's i think that that's like part of it as and then, and then the wap thing is like then it that's like the updated version where then it's like okay so we had our two live crew we had these men you know being so explicit so then it's almost like the controversy to wap was almost like hold up wait women can do the same thing and they're going to talk about their their genitals and so it, it was right. just this weird thing like to me i was like we've established that like the sexuality thing is the explicit thing has been in popular music for a long time but apparently not and so the, i guess that's the thing where then you're just getting more of that classic the conservative maybe religious pushback of the songs yeah and that's some where of a lot of it moments, came from you know it's racist yeah. conservative 
you know, white folks that hear this and like literally think like two live crew is going to kick down their door and like kidnap their daughters and shit. Right. And it's like, dude, like it's a, yeah. it's a band. I mean, it, as gross as some of their lyrics are and stuff like there's, you know, it's just like with comedy. It's like the, the joke is that it's that bad. You know, it's mm-hmm. like no one's right. Like even two live crew, they're not going to like say like, Oh, it's not so bad. Like, I think you're overreacting. Right. No, like that's the gimmick is like, it's that dirty, you know, it's that dirty. Right. So it's, you know, it's, it's not like, and again, we'll find out that there is some reality behind some of it, but for the most part, it's almost like a competition between the members to see who could have the dirtier line. Who could, yeah. Who could, they might as yeah. well just be a bunch of guys like busting each other's balls at work, you know? Yeah, or like like your middle school humor when you like discover curse words. So then you're like, how? How can much, I use these? How yeah. can I use these? Yeah. So um, yeah, and then another dump element is just the genre of booty bass, which in itself, like, I mean, booty bass has like ridiculous samples, like tons of high energy, super sexual, like highly repetitive lyrics. Like booty bass is pretty much a dump on its own. But we would be talking about two live crew so much if we did a booty base episode that it just right. makes sense to do two live crew. But there's I mean, there are a ton of like hilarious hypersexual booty base songs. And that's what influenced me in a band I was in called Dip. I mean, st- still am in. But we essentially heard booty base for the first time and were so blown <laughs> away that y- you could be so energetically one track mind obsessed with sex that we decided let's be just as obsessed as obsessed as two live crew is with pussy. We want to be obsessed with cheese dip. And (laughs) we started a band based on that. I didn't even like, I I always knew. I mean, obviously that you were, you guys are obsessed with like dips. Uh, Like for instance, one time I performed with Parks's group dip and uh, there were seven of us on stage and he kept insisting this is a seven layer dip. Like that's what it is. Uh Yeah. And it goes on. We'll we'll post a a bunch of booty base on our Patreon. So you guys can uh, get a nice little well-rounded example of it. Well-rounded. Yes, very well-rounded. Yeah, so, but they're, I was inspired by their obsession with sex to make my own similarly obsessed band. Other little tie-in here is that at some point, Two Live Crew played one of the gathering of the Juggalos, which is the ICP Festival, which we covered very extensively uh, on Podcast 99. So those are some, so there's a lot, it's a very dumpy, God. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. It's got dumps dump. like a truck. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So let's get into it just like a little bit of background history of two live crew. Um, so they started actually in California, uh, which makes sense because you think like two live crew that has such a like sort of that break dance DJ scratching kind of vibe. Like the yeah. name Cruise. of the of the band isn't sexual because it started as like California like break dance kind of vibe group. Mm-hmm. Uh, DJ Mr. Mix, love the name. And uh, the rappers Fresh Kid Ice and Amazing V. Amazing V, uh, I guess, was he wanted to dance or whatever. Like, he wasn't about this sexual stuff. He he left the group quickly after formation. Uh, but Fresh Kid Ice stuck around. And he's actually, like, one of the first, if not the first, like, successful Asian-American rapper. So that's yeah. Highlighting that's AAPI voices. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Um, so they, so this group in California, they recorded a single called Revelation, and this song somehow got into the hands of a local Miami DJ, Luther Campbell, who is essentially going to be like the 
main, the protagonist of this story. He is going to eventually become the mastermind of two live crew. Uh, but he heard the record. He started playing it. He was like doing all these like underground local clubs. Honestly, sounds really cool. Like this like 80s Miami club scene going on. Oh, it was probably uh, slamming. Liberty City is where he was from. He repped it a lot. So it kind of like Liberty City was like a neighborhood that got like its own notoriety. Uh, but so he was playing this Revelation song and he basically reached out to this, the, the band in California and was like, y'all need to come out to Miami because every time I'm playing this song, you're getting like tons of response on the dance floor. So they said, sure, fuck it. Let's go to let's go to Miami. Let's do it. So then they were doing this thing where they were traveling back and forth, doing shows every few months. Um, and then at these shows in Miami, they noticed that uh, during these shows, uh, there would be this dance, this new dance that was happening. Um, and it was happening during this drum break of a song called Dance to the Drummer's Beat by Herman Kelly and Life. Let's dance. Let's dance to the party's heat. Let's dance. Let's dance. And the dance was called Throwing the Dick. So... <laughs> And and uh, I had a great quote to describe the dance because I couldn't quite f I couldn't find like an '80s <laughs> video of throwing the dick and also searching throwing the dick is gonna lead to some sketchy stuff. Um, oh yeah, because you're such a stranger to <laughs> searching stuff sketchy shit on the internet. Right, right. If you, yeah, if you follow our uh, page, subscribe to our Patreon, you'll know that we get into some we get into some dick videos on YouTube. Um, <laughs> But basically, I found a great quote to describing throwing the dick dance, which is the dance consisted of men throwing their hips back and forth while the girls would squat with their hands on their knees, bent over and shake their butt, um, <laughs> which is what I would one time dip. We op we did a show where we opened for Big Frida. And so, I mean, this is almost sort of like a proto twerk, I guess. Right. But, yeah. And bounce music, too. Yeah. Right. So that was like one of the biggest shows we ever did opening for Big Frida, tons of twerking. So obviously I had to tell my family that it was happening. So my mom and dad came and they witnessed twerking firsthand, which was amazing. <laughs> and the only thing my dad could say about it is he said he described it as simulated intercourse. And um, <laughs> that's just kind of the vibe I get from like the throw in the dick dance it would have been funnier that, if your dad was like oh yeah no i had a great time with this show actually that dance reminds me a lot of throwing the dick yeah he just busts <laughs> out like, some, like some 80s hip-hop knowledge <laughs> um but basically they're like holy shit this dance is crazy so then two live crew went back and then they wrote a song and they recorded it called throw the d and they sampled the herman kelly song and it's it's pretty cool listen up y'all because this is it Forget that old dance and it's pretty like great like old school song and so then now that they they're like doing a they're going back to Miami and then they just wrote this Miami club song about Miami club dancing so it kind of was just like a great idea and it was a huge hit in Miami for that um so that kind of is like they're getting the taste of like their fame also realizing that if they go and become a little bit more naughty with the lyrics that's kind of part of the success as opposed to just you know being like their first song was revelation you know that kind of just right. gives you that like general old school vibe no you gotta throw like, the dick you gotta yeah. throw the d yeah so that success 
plus the fact that Uncle Luke, like, aka a Luther Campbell, right, 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 yeah, sorry, yeah, he's still he's not Uncle Luke at this point, but Luther Campbell, he is like, actually, at this point, he was going by the name Luke Skywalker, but with two <laughs> Ys. Star sick. Wars had just happened, pretty sick. But anyway, so he was connected to Miami. So that plus the fact that they had like a hit in Miami, they just convinced them to like move to Miami and become like a Miami group. So then they added a uh, rapper brother Marquis and then Luke jumped in and he was like the hype man, like l- label head, manager, promoter, just kind of doing everything. But he was like in the band itself. And that's like the the classic two live crew lineup. That basically. is two live crew. That's two live crew. Right. Yeah, basically. Um, so they're success. So at this point they just kind of start hitting the ground running and, uh, uh, Luther Campbell, he was like really ambitious and it's really interesting cause he's very DIY because he's just like, I'm going to, if no label's going to have me, I'll start my own label. So he started a label called get this Luke records so that he could <laughs> record the crew. Then he would produce the records as Luke Skywalker, and then his stage name was Uncle Luke. Because nothing so, says party like an uncle. Yeah, and Uncle Luke is like very <laughs> kind creepy. of creepy, and it, but it totally like makes sense um, for the thing. So basically, it's like we got they, brother Marquis, Kid Ice, Uncle, uncle Luke. It's a family. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And Mr. Mix. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then Mr. There, Mix, yeah, of course. There's a um there's a tax preparer business in Atlanta called Mr. Tax, and I've never used them, but I just kind of love that like Mr. Whatever like if you're like a lawn guy, you're like Mr. Garden. Yeah. Or like Yeah, Mr. Mr. Anything. Yeah. Yeah. You could just be Mr. Anything you sell. No, I'm a DJ, name. Mr. Mix. Yeah. Yeah, Mr. Mix. It's great. Um so they basically like, okay, let's chase this throw the D thing. We're gonna let's get a little more sexual with it. And uh, they recorded a bunch of songs. Uh, their debut album, Two Live Crew Is What We Are. It blew up in Miami. It went gold very quickly. Uh, this, this album had Throw the D on it. And it also had a classic Two Live Crew song, We Want Some Pussy. So now they're getting like, like even the song is called Throw the D. It's not like the dance was throwing the dick. The song was Throw the D. Yeah, they but churched it like, up a little bit. But yeah. they're like, we want some pussy. It's like, you got to put the explicit, you got to put the name in the song, you know, like you have to get more explicit with it. Um, another thing about a big part of Two Live Crew is they sample like classic rock songs a lot in just this like very obvious way. It's very like just, spring break. Yeah. It's just like take this riff and then just like kind of shit on it, which I think is really <laughs> funny, but like a lot. And we'll get into that because there was a lawsuit involving that. But they kind of just take these really big riffs and just kind of they're so goofy over it that it just it does just kind of inherently make it funny. Um, But so this album starting to blow up and already starting to get this controversy um, legally even. So a store clerk in Florida was charged with a felony count of corruption of a minor for selling this album to a 14 year old girl. Um, he was later acquitted of these charges, but this is like a taste of like the legal, like there two live crew is going to be battling 
against the state of Florida and the various counties in Florida. Yeah, this is a sign music. that it's yeah. just going to be like this. And also, like, a 14-year-old girl buy, like, buying this Two Life Crew album, like, when it came out is, like, a funny thing, too. Like, because I don't even think at, at this point they were doing the parental advisory stickers or anything like that. So, like, you didn't really have to, like, hide whatever music you were getting. You just go up and buy it. But mm-hmm. I feel like that... Shit is just like so dirty. It's like maybe like I'm picturing her like hiding it in between like like a Duran Duran album and like right, Billy right. Joel or something. And then it's like oh, and Two Left Crew, oh Billy Joel, Duran Duran. You know, right. just like hoping it it goes under the radar. But then also like what must have happened is she bought it, came home, was listening to We Want Some Pussy, uh, you know, fourteen year old right. girl, and then her parents were the like, parents. what the fuck? And then they found they must have found who sold it. Yeah. Them, you know, and then real. And then at that point, I think like certain counties had like labeled it obscene. And so when a, when something is legally obscene, it becomes illegal to sell or own. So right. that's the distinction there. It's actually a crime to to be selling it. Um, but as we all know, it's a tale as old as time. Controversy. It gets it, it's going to get more attention Sells records. So they're just like riding this wave and they're just like, we're going to do this. Let's be more outrageous. And at this point, their shows start to become notorious in their own right, because it's just these like, like you said, the spring break vibe. It's like bonkers. And this is when they start introducing. They have these like young fit women on stage. They're in thongs, bikinis, G strings, whatever, just like leather they're just like barely wearing anything they're shaking their ass like you and you can find video of this stuff and like and then the oh, guys there's in the band, classic videos they're like of this picking shit. them up like humping them they're like pretending to do blowjobs pretending to eat each other out so it's just creating yeah, well, this like hedonistic environment yeah and it because you know you see it on stage and if you're on stage obviously all eyes are on you so it kind of gives the uh you know, kind of, kind of puts the air out there that, oh, well, like if that's, what's okay when everyone can see it, like anything can go in the crowd as well. And so it just becomes like a frenzy. And, uh, you know, I think the main thing that made us want to do two live crew is because, um, there was a tele or like, a like as seen on TV DVD series that was being sold in the nineties called banned from television that included Mm -hmm. like a lot of like violent footage, like stuff that you couldn't see on the news, like, you know, like car crashes and fucking robberies gone wrong and people getting shot. And then there would be like sexual stuff like strip club busts or like Mardi Gras footage. And actually the executive producer of banned from television, he ended up uh, founding girls gone wild. But, you know, right. fa- famously in one of these uh, VHS tapes of Band from Television, there's like a whole section of Two Live Crew where it's like, watch them work the crowd into a frenzy. And they're yeah. literally getting blowjobs on stage. And then like, right. you know, one guy's like standing up rapping while he's having like sex with this chick from behind. But then the funniest part is like one of the members is just straight up having like married couple missionary sex like uh, like yeah. laying on the stage like yeah. like all like borderline romantic but not at all because it's a two left crew show but it's like yeah. it's not the kind of sex you would have on stage it's like he's just like taking like the the song off <laughs> so he could have sex with this girl and like they're dumping oil all over them and the cops come and yeah. everyone gets arrested it's just insane it's it seems like madness and um yeah and actually that there it was in savannah georgia yes yes it was where where he got a blowjob i don't remember who but one of them got a blowjob and you can find it i i don't know if you can find it on youtube anymore but i've seen the video it's very grainy it's like a camera from far away 
there's a ton of people on stage so it's like kind of crazy to you can't really tell what's going on but then there's this moment where you're like oh yeah like she's on her knees and like this that, dude's it's like, happening he's getting topped off like on a performance right so, yeah, there they, and it's not like a club it's not like they're playing in like a, a fucking big, like stadium yeah it's like a big venue this yeah. was like in the like 93 or 94 so like they were yeah yeah we're skipping ahead like a little bit with, with this big. stuff but yeah it's but still it's huge yeah but this is so this is part of it too it's not just the music it's the shows they're right. just like they're crushing it and so they're just built they're just <laughs> they're just well i mean in terms of success like oh, they are just it's yeah. a rapid rise to fame um so big the big album they they do two albums and then their third as nasty as they want to be this is the one this is their most successful one their most famous one and the most controversial one uh it was it was released in 1989 and the notoriety and popularity of it, it took them to like a national level. Um, I remember the album cover and like, right. Cause we were talking about the, you know, buying this, the, the CDs you couldn't buy. And I remember that, you know, when I would go to, I guess, CD warehouse with my family, my parents, and then I try to do the parental advisory. I, I try to somehow sneak it up there and get, yeah. <laughs> see if my parents would buy it. And they'd be like, no, we're not buying you Eminem. No, we're not buying you Dr. Dre. And then there was a CD, there was like a rap, like a tiny little mom and pop like rap CD store that I could walk to. And the thing I loved about it is he would just, he would sell me the fucking, yeah, because he knows the, the bad you know, CDs because he's, he's like, doing in a it buck, forever. yeah, a buck is a buck. And I, and I remember the thing that's so cringy now is that like this dude probably was like this huge hip hop head or whatever and i had i was like i want limp biscuit significant other and he didn't carry it he had to like order it and so i'm sure he's just like this stupid fucking kid wants limp biscuit and i've got like i got tupac i got biggie like yeah i'm sitting on the, gold here and you're I asking for world, dog shit and yeah. you want limp biscuit but but he ordered it for him and like this is so old school to think about but like he ordered this he like pulled out like a book like a catalog and like found limp biscuit significant other like ordered it in the mail and it was like come back in like two weeks and it'll <laughs> be there and i did it but it was amazing but i remember this album cover it's these four women it's on the beach they're in thongs their legs are spread you see their butts and then underneath is like the four faces of the guys Right, so it's like a, it's an iconic album cover to say the least. Yes, but the album cover itself was enough to make parents worry, you know, with, yes. with, with a parental advisory label or not, because it speaks for itself. But also going back to what we're saying about like the whole spring break, like Miami vibe, like this album cover more than any other in history is like spring break. Like it, it it's essentially so a wet break. t-shirt con like contest on a CD cover. Right. And and then even the album, like their first album is like two live crew is what we are. So it's more of a declarative statement of like just like we're two live crew, but then this one is like as nasty as they wanna be. So they're just they're they just keep finding like the more we push this shit, the like the better it's it's gonna be for our bottom line, the money we're gonna make from it. Um so this album had uh hits from it. It had the fuck shop. <laughs> which um which there's a great there's a great performance of them doing it on uh was it phil donahue oh my god which like i mean talk 90s talk show like that like daytime jerry springer phil oh, donahue they were thing. crazy sally jesse Raphael, like that probably honestly could be a dump in itself because when you actually take 
the really extreme stuff. You know, they'd have like clan members and neo Nazis and. Oh yeah, Geraldo got his nose broken uh, yeah. by, by clan guys and um, yeah. what w- one of the shows she had like a oh I'm I'm gonna expose like your someone has a crush on you and they like tell this guy oh yeah like your friend like has a crush on you and he's gay and like he right. loves you and like that guy like ended up killing the other dude for like like quote unquote like humiliating yeah. him on TV so like 90s talk show television was crazy and yeah Donahue had tons of shit like that on there right. and yeah to have two live crew it's like this is like the filth and the fury of what's happening right. in, in young kids lives you know and and they and they do the performance and they call it the funk shop but yeah. the lyrics are still very obvious. And then it's just as great because I feel like they had to have like selected. They're like, OK, for this taping, we're going to get all the oldest, whitest people in here to react to this shit. Oh, totally. You know, yeah. but also it's funny that those talk shows would be like, oh, this guy's like a neo-Nazi. And then it'd be like, this guy's a goth. <laughs> and like they're kind <laughs> of like on the same level of extremes. Yeah. Like this guy, <laughs> this guy has like he wears makeup under his eyes like that's just as bad as hating a race as, of people. yeah as someone who wants to like literally kill people yeah, e- yeah. E- exactly um so the, so, so nasty as they want to be the fuck shop crazy song uh dirty nursery rhymes is a crazy song it's very much a kind of relates to like that andrew D- or andrew dice clay comedy bit where he was doing his own version of dirty nursery rhymes right and uh well, it's like a trope almost like in classic yeah. like blue comedy yes uh, you know where it's just like yeah you take something very innocent like a nursery rhyme and you add a bunch of dicks and shit and fucks yes. to it you know right exactly now the biggest song on nasty as they want to be is me so horny what do we get for ten dollars everything you want everything now this song yeah. for like five million reasons would never fly today um it samples <laughs> It samples Stanley Kubrick's movie, um, Full Metal Jacket. Bl- Full Metal Jacket. Bl- yes, and and the scene itself is already a crazy scene. It's like these American GIs. They're in Vietnam, and then this Vietnamese prostitute is accosting them. So you have like these themes of like imperialism. You have like this incredible sexual aggression of like these V. Like there's so many crazy fucked up stories about well, like the G- the GIs being there oh, and like abusing and murder, raping the women. Rape, there. Yeah, terrible shit was happening. So, so she, but she's trying to like make ten bucks off of a GI, and then she's talking that way. So like that that scene in the movie when it came out was controversial because of its depiction of Asian women and Asian sexuality and Asian sexual submission. So like. It's like such a loaded sample. And then it's like using the broken English of yeah, like I was me about to say, so that's, horny. That's the whole thing. Yeah. It's like the syntax of like taken from like this Vietnamese prostitute from this movie trying to appeal to GIs. And like, like if you say me so horny, like, like I feel bad just saying it. Cause like, you know, yeah. like there's so many you know, racial implications no, of yeah. like talking like that. And yeah, yes. it's like just every aspect of this song could right. be take, could be picked apart. But and but I mean that phrase me so horny like essentially in a combination of the movie and the song like essentially was like a pre Instagram meme where people it was such a nineties totally. thing to say it 
and in part because of the song. So they take all this like really kind of like loaded stuff and they just plop it as a sample and make this like party fuck jam. So yeah. that itself, you're just like, whoa, what the hell? Like crazy stuff. But it, it, I mean, it is it's one of their catchiest songs. Totally. Um, hey, I'll tell you right now. I'm so horny. Doesn't work as good. No, it doesn't. It, it, it doesn't sound as good. The other crazy thing in that song that I've listened to a lot preparing for this is that he says, like, he rhymes me so horny with a freak without warning. Yeah. Which is just like, I'm like, what, he's a really, without warning. Yeah, he's I really that. stretching it for the rhyme because, or, or I'm just like, freak without warning sounds like scary too. Well, I feel like they also rhyme the word on with hard, like where he's like sitting at home with my dick on hard. Oh, waiting yeah. For a freak to call. Like, again, they, like, they're just like stretching. But it's not about that. It's like about listening to this shit in your room with headphones on. Like, yes. In 1989 and being like, oh, shit, like this is so bad. It's like right. when like, uh, you know, for someone my age, I'm, I'm 31. You know, it's like when you listen to like Kim from Eminem or something, and you're just like, yes. whoa, this is like really fucking bad you know right you just like, know it's so inappropriate yeah and so then, exactly so you're just you're hoarding it away from your parents so you can listen to it so that's what i mean that's what happened and uh but i mean it's also is blowing up it's getting so popular i mean this album went platinum so like people are going to notice and uh basically a florida federal district judge ruled the album like legally obscene and so that subsequently made it illegal to like own or sell purchase in uh florida counties so then two live crew they were playing a show at a sex club first off at a sex club yeah They're playing a show well, wait, so, wait, what do you mean by sex club though like like a, like a swingers club like plato's retreat from the 70s or like a strip club i would i'm guessing that it's like somewhere in between where it's like a strip club but maybe because, you know, there's always the thing about strip clubs where you, there's the VIP room, you pay a little extra, you might get a little more than just the lap dance. I feel like this is like a place where like that stuff is just a little more out in the open. There's it's not just the, open. I there's see. not a VIP curtain, but there's basically just fucking going on while two live crews performing. It's a um, freak show. Right. So because they were performing songs off of the album that was deemed obscene the cops the cops knew they were going to perform albums because they're promoting their album so they right. knew they were going to perform them so they were able to arrest them saying that they were performing legally obscene material so which is insane because if yeah. they were not there if two live crew wasn't in this club playing there would be obscene shit or like seemingly obscene stuff like right. actually happening like actually people having sex right. in public and doing like right. you know lewd acts and stuff not totally fine getting on stage and saying something i mean it goes back to lenny bruce you know and that's yes. kind of the whole overall mm -hmm. dump with this is the first amendment is is you know artistic in integrity and you know like you know what when, when is it too much you know and it's right. just always silly to me that words uh, can be so heavily policed, you know what I mean? Yes. When like mm -hmm. literally, like you're in the same room as people like doing public sex acts, right. and they're fine. You say me so horny on the microphone, you go to jail. Right? Yeah, yeah. And that's kind crazy. of the dichotomy of this whole thing. Right. And like, I I wonder if like hypothetically, what if they like didn't perform songs on the that album? What would that? Because all their other songs, all their other songs were just as sexually explicit. Who knows if, you know, either way, 
it's like at this point it's like the florida like they have a bone to pick with two live crews so they're gonna right. figure out a way to arrest them so they do it and it just like blows up like it becomes like a media circus it's like national coverage um and then this is also what contributed to like the album as nasty as they want to be going platinum because at this point now it's just like holy shit have you heard about this like band two live crew they got arrested and then like you can just very like listen to one of their songs you're like oh my god this is this is yeah. and i mean i will say that they're yeah like you said lenny bruce um i mean red fox you know andrew dice clay eddie murphy there you know plenty of comedians that had uh dirty lyrics and then i mean there's Lots of rock songs that have dirty lyrics, too. Oh, yeah, definitely. But this album definitely took it, it to a new <laughs> level. It really, it really, really, really does push it. Yeah. But that's, again, that's kind of the thing. It's like the more, like, conservatives and, like, people that are, like, so upset with, with you know, lyrical content and stuff, the more they try and warn other parents, another thing that they're doing is letting all of those parents' kids know that this shit exists. Yes, right. Yeah, and there's... I, I learned about this thing called the Streisand effect, which is not quite the same, or but it's essentially this ef the effect of what you're saying. The more you try to like suppress something, the more it becomes out in the open. Absolutely, um, it, yeah. it relates it's to like Barbara Streisand. Prohibition, weird little know? story. Yeah. Um, so national level now it's like a trial, right? Because then immediately, two live crew is going to hit back because if they can't like perform or sell their album, I mean, that's like their livelihood. Right. So they're, they like go back, like they fight back hard with this. Um, and they do like a countersuit and basically, you know, the, like you said, the first amendment, like they're going to like say that this is artistic expression and this should be protected under the first amendment. So this trial's happening, but then it's also just leading to a ton of sort of like cultural conversation, you know, like what is art? How far can you push the boundaries, you know, of decency, quote unquote, in the name of art? Like, when does it become obscene and when is it no longer a value towards art? And then what it's protected by, you know, our First Amendment rights. And I mean, this conversation yeah. has been going on even before Lenny Bruce. I mean, what, you know, Marquis de Sade. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. You know, nice. Nice, Parks. For, <laughs> but, just, I was but, just but, ready for that one. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Real damn. nasty sex shit. But yeah. <laughs> Uh, Oscar but yeah, Wilde. Or the, or Oscar the film Wilde. Sallow and the 120 yeah. Days of Sodom. You know, like right. th there's tons of examples. And the thing is with like porn, which had long existed by this time, the, the way that like pornographers were able to get away with it is because they put an age limit on it, you know? Right. And, and mm -hmm. so they were able to produce incredibly, you know, graphic content without any scrutiny because they're like, okay, well, like you want to make this stuff? this can't be available to everyone. So you have special stores that could sell it and there's, you know, and you have to have ID and, and all this stuff with music that like, this was the first time really where the argument was becoming like, do we need to do this for just stuff you listen to as well? Right. You mm -hmm. know, cause it's like, I mean, we know that like, you don't want to have like a six year old watch, you know, like a gangbang porn. Right. But like, is it like just as bad to have that same kid hear a two live crew song? And that's the yes. argument that was, mm -hmm. you know, being discussed at this time. Right. And then and then that's another issue is like, is this does this fall on say the the media conglomerate, like the general just umbrella of media, or is this like is it up to the parents to do it themselves, you know? So that's another, you know, question that kind of like a big conversation. It was a big thing with Eminem later. Um but yeah, basically, so 
And and this is where you there is a lot of footage because I mean there's like news footage of this stuff. Um, but yeah. there was a lot of vocal opposition from white conservative Christians. So there was this racial element going on because, and I I also do think that when I watch this footage, I do think that there was a bit of the media like like if you had like let's say you had like an old black man who didn't like Two Live Crew and then an old white guy. You're probably going oh, to pick the old white guy every time because yeah. there because when I watch some of his footage and there are there are definitely like black people who are not into to, like are protesting against it. But when you right. see that like old white like frail Christian lady who hates it, like it's just so much better for the for the media. Yeah, there, a lot of people are going to have a lot of issues with two live crew for different reasons. But that one definitely took the spotlight. Uh, Uncle Luke. Um, you know, he's kind of like the spokesperson for the band. So he, I mean, he, he does a very good job of defending two live crew. Um, but then still throwing in his humor. I think at one point he said, like, if y'all don't like it, you can kiss my ass, you know, shit like that. Yeah. Like there's still being like unapologetic, but he right. can, he can turn it on the charm too, of being like, this is a first amendment thing. And then that's, it was during this time period where he mentioned like Eddie Murphy and Andrew Dice Clay you know they're re- they're releasing these comedy albums and they're saying incredibly vulgar shit. Um, I mean, Eddie Murphy was really homophobic in his like most oh, famous. Oh, absolutely! But you know what? In the eighties, no one was rushing to the aid of of yeah. Gays, no one, you know no, what yeah, I mean? No, no, no one gave a shit. Like, yeah. and that's kind of that was kind of the problem with that, and why we can look at it now a little bit differently. Right. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I don't know. But with, still, with just music, sexually explicit yeah. content. Definitely, both those comedians 100%. had, yeah. and it was just like green light. Let's go. So yeah. with music, it seemed like, oh, what's what's different here? That was his argument. Why is well, my music different than Andrew Dice Clay? Like, why is my dirty nursery rhyme different than Andrew Dice Clay's dirty nursery rhyme? Exactly. And that goes back to the racial stuff and, and the underlying issues, you know. Um, and, you know, rap music's just always been a, a, attacked because it's a voice of, yeah. you know, the, the oppressed, you know. So it's just like, you know, when it gets to the, the top of the white conservative heap, they're like, what the fuck is this? I can't believe this exists. And it's like, why do you care? This has right. nothing to do with your life. But right. one of the things I love about um, artists being brought to court over like especially over obscenity is like you know on stage they're like throwing the dick and like we want some pussy and then like mm-hmm. they get in court and they're just like well actually we believe it's our first amendment right that we're like you know it's like yeah, they just yeah, like you, turn you, heel really quick on, like Dee Snyder famously did it in uh, from Twisted yes, Sister exa- during the PMRC trials yeah. he like he walked in in his denim vest and his big hair with makeup on and he pulls out a crumpled up paper and then proceeds to read like one of the most eloquently written speeches like <laughs> right. defending like free speech mm-hmm. that's ever been like read in the Supreme right. Court, and I just love how like these guys are artists, like as like crazy or like you know off the wall as like their artwork might be. They're still human beings that are capable of you know intellectual thought, and that comes out when they're under pressure of the court. I mean, now is the time when your band is being attacked by the literal legal system to kind of turn put on a suit, turn the charm on a little bit. Though uh, uh, Gigi Allen certainly didn't do that well yeah but he you was, know gg allen's not even close to this through, level through. You of know course what I mean? no he's way more um so um another thing that was going on with this is it wasn't there was the conservative sort of the christian element of just the the depiction of sex acts right but then there was just the uh, the the 
the the women the the sex right. towards women you know and so then there was so there there was this issue of like this is incredibly degrading to women right and so then the thing about the race sometimes is because it's funny that Uncle Luke would mention Eddie Murphy because he is a black man who's being really vulgar and successful um, so it kind of like in a certain way it doesn't necessarily play to the race card as much yeah you know? yeah um, it's a misogyny thing for sure and and, and it's definitely yeah. a feminist issue like a hundred and that's and that's. You know? You know, that's where it gets tricky. Um, but so so this is all going on. And uh, two live crew like they fought back against this. And the 11th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals reversed the obscenity ruling, stating that the album had artistic value, was not obscene. Um, and I was looking on a uh, this website, which I found called the First Amendment Encyclopedia. <laughs> Sounds and, like a dangerous website. <laughs> Sounds like it's a slippery slope. <laughs> well, that's what's also funny. What's funny is that the literal, the interpretation of the First Amendment has taken quite a turn um, in recent years. Oh, definitely. I don't think um, the uh, founding fathers were uh, picturing two life crew. But that's like the conservative uh, argument where it's like they were talking about not being persecuted for your religious choice, even though uh, white conservative Christians uh, 100%, you know, shit on people right. for their religious choices. You know, all the right. things that the First Amendment w was put in a place for and for political opinions and stuff. And their argument is always like, it's not about defending like filth music and stuff. And it's like, yeah, well, it kind of is, you know, because we have this right. now. They didn't have that back then. Right. And we'll, and we'll get into that, too. Um but yeah, I had this quote from the First Amendment Encyclopedia. Uh, Popular music lyrics, even if reviled, are presumed to be protected speech in the United States. So I mean, that's kind of, that was kind of the bottom line. I mean, they won this trial. So I mean, that is that is monumental, and that does set like a precedent because again, this album came out '89. You know, the trial spilling into the '90s, and I mean, and then now rap is kind of blowing up. Yeah, because now rap has kind of evolved past its baby stage. And rap's about to blow up, and so like it's this, hit the suburbs. You know, it's 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 replacing yeah. all of the biggest rock and pop acts on number one slots on Billboard. I mean, right. it's yeah, it, it it's no longer like you know like inner city soundtrack stuff. It's fucking the biggest genre of music ever, and you know a lot of the early icons of rap you know like that coming out in like the late 80s and stuff were fairly dirty. So it's always been ingrained. Like if you look at rock and roll, like you know, some of the dirtier stuff that came out in like 80s and 90s, like that's a far cry away from like Chuck Berry and like the Beatles and, and Elvis well, and stuff. Well, I got to, I well, mean, well, Chuck not, Berry. Well, he, I mean, I mean, lyrically, <laughs> lyrically, not, not in the, right. yeah, uh, lyrically I, and sonically, not in uh, the right. way that they act. Cause yes, Chuck Berry is a uh, POS, yeah. but um, I will say some of those, some of the old, old blues guys, Muddy Waters, Howlin' Wolf, if you, they had to be so much more discreet. Yeah. So it's it's so hard to look but like those guys were still being dirty, but they had to just like use a metaphor. And yeah, that like was rock the and scandal roll means fucking. Like right. that's, like that's the what it means. The scandal wasn't was itself that like, oh my god, you like said this metaphor that makes me think about sex. Right. So that's the 50s or whatever, and then you go to the 80s, late 80s, early 90s, and then it's like the metaphor is not going to cut it anymore. Yeah. And we I need feel to like, actually but, but, be exactly. like the dick in the pussy, the mouth <laughs> on the dick, you know, yeah, you run have a to train. You have, it to, out. It, you have to say exactly what's going on. So in that uh, vein, I want to play a sample real quick uh, from this 
I don't know what kind of documentary it is. It's, it's, I found it on YouTube. It's called Two Live Crew Banned in the USA. It seems like sort of an amateur documentary, but there's a great quote in here. So let's hear that real quick. In the record, as nasty as they want to be, there was 226 uses of the F word. 117 explicit terms for the male and female genitalia. 87 descriptions of oral sex. 163 uses of the word bitch. 15 uses of hoe. Which is the slang word for whore. I'm sorry, what is that? Hoe which is a slang word for whore. 81 uses of the uh, vulgarity, S dash dash T. Four descriptions of group sex. One reference to incest. Uh, they had a lot yeah. of time on their hands to just sit there. Like, how many times do you have to listen to a Two Live Crew album to get an accurate count of how many fucks there are in it? Right. Like, do what if you, like, mess up the count? Do they, like... We got to We got to start over? <laughs> or they're like, okay, we'll, we'll just say it's 227 or whatever. Yeah, and then it's just hilarious imagining these people listening to the entire album just to prove a just fucking like point. like cringing, like wincing their face every bad word, like Ugh, like with their little census clicker or whatever it may be. <laughs> and did they not enjoy it at all that entire time? Yeah, yeah. I'm sure there was um, some 72-year-old woman, you know, on a tirade against Two Live Crew, like tapping her foot by like the fifth song. You know? Right. <laughs> just getting a little into it. <laughs> but now I want to, I want to, and we kind of have touched it, but I do want to actually... So like this is like kind of what's happening culturally, but I want to talk about actually like sort of our opinion of the music, and we've kind of gotten in there. Yeah, um, but it, it's it's like dwinky. It's, it's nasty. Early, yeah, it's nasty for sure. But like oh, the yeah. music itself is kind of like clowny and like cartoony rap mm -hmm. music. Like it's very yes. like like just like yeah, it, it's hard to explain because it, it is just so like plunky and like this is like dirty rap music from the late eighties. Like that's just right. like how it sounds. They were not. Uh, they were spending their time trying to generate controversy and not trying to like innovate. You know yes. the 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 lyrical wordplay. Yeah, no one talks about their um, their production or their beats. It's it's right. It's all the bad words. Yeah, but I actually do. Like I said earlier, I do love some of these beats because of these like just absurdly obvious samples of rock music. Like to me it feels I'll like throw this, the dick to it for sure. It feels like a weird subliminal dig at like rock music to just be like like there's this one song of theirs that like they sample like a Van Halen song song and a Guns N' Roses song and you like kind of realize like it's like Sweet Child of Mine and um Ain't Talking About Love, I think. And I just you realize that the riffs are kind of the same. Yeah. And like, I don't know. Like, they probably did it because they're just like, that's cool. But in my head, I'm like, it's just funny because it's like all that 80s music can kind of sound the same at some point. Um, and I think they but, were going for like the sex, drugs and rock and roll kind of like. Right. At, it's like kinda, aspect of it. So in order to portray that through rap music, especially back then, because nowadays rappers are the rock stars, you know. Right. But back then it was like, dude, like these guys are partying and you hear about all this shit with like Motley Crue and Van Halen and all right. this sex let's and just stuff. Let's sample so, like, Let's get a piece of that. And so that's like yeah. kind of like I feel like a reference to like the sex and drugs part of the sex, drugs and rock and roll cliche. Right. So I another thing, and this might be me reading into it a little too much, but like also just the sampling of all the those some of those rockers, like especially Guns N' Roses, it's almost sort of like this weird reference of like these guys, they get the controversy, and like we're a part of it too, and yeah. like yeah, but you know at the same time it's like you know Guns N' Roses and Van Halen, all all those bands, they 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 all had their controversy too. I mean Guns N' Roses didn't get you know sent to court and stuff 
Right. Well, but except is, when Axl Rose attacked a fan uh, for well, filming right, right. concert. Yeah. <laughs> yes, but like their music. Right. Didn't. E- exactly. It's almost but, like a way of being like, look how badass we are. Like, we're going to take these badasses songs and we're going to record right. something that's like so much gnarlier using their shit. Yeah. Right. I mean, Guns N' Roses just went for that. They had that weird sort of racial controversy. Um, but anyway, so like that's a part of it. And then also just the, the musicality, like, I mean, again, because I do want to talk about the booty bass because, again, it, it, the style of it was very influential to me in this weird band I started. And it's just like because something about the about booty bass is that it is adjacent to dance music. I mean, two live crew songs are very fast and upbeat, whereas like hip hop is generally known as this like laid back kind of style right I mean, well, hip-hop can have tons tough, of energy you know what i mean it's, yeah it's, it's you need tough a to slower... do it really fast you know right but usually like rap songs are like like most of them are kind of have that like slower laid back thing so two live crew is like they're coming from this like dance dj club environment and what's that's what's so interesting about booty bass is booty bass you know kind of two live crew kind of brought it to a big area but then booty bass is like kind of one of those weird subgenres that like dance like edm dj people like still love to this day and people still will like take the characteristics of booty bass and put it into music they just don't have the like two live crew that clowny level of stuff and so like you can spank actually rock. have you remember that guy spank, yeah, rock? spank rock it's like totally That's... like that like when i saw yeah. spank rock i was like oh this is like two live crew like now you right know? right I remember that song, uh, My Boo, which I don't know if it's big out in L.A., but in Atlanta, like two years ago, like that song was like a 90s booty song. And like two years ago, I felt like I couldn't escape that song. Like it had such a big comeback. But again, it's like that's like this like woman singing like this pretty melody over a booty bass beat as opposed to two live crew just screaming about fucking in their dick. dick. We want some pussy. Um, (laughs) But also from that that podcast, uh, the the Gimlet one, their mogul like i did find this little interesting tidbit that they were saying that part of the hyper tempo stuff was inspired by like traditional cuban music that was in miami you know like guys like playing the shit out of like a conga like really fast and they were sort of trying to emulate that on an 808 and i was like oh that's kind of cool like there is sort of like arab music that guy that just plays the fucking uh the mpcs like live that guy's insane but yeah it's like same kind of thing where you're you know yeah you're you're using these electronic instruments in a more organic way to produce these tracks yeah but that being said (laughs) lyrical content like i said like sometimes it's i want to break it down like Two Live Crew is like 95% about sex, right? I don't know what the other 5% is about. But probably just like hype, like hyping. Right. Just, like if just, they're not talking yeah. about sex, they're like it's hyping up hype. the other guy who is. Yeah. Right. But then I broke it down. I was like half of the sex is kind of this like hedonistic everything goes party vibe where it's like I feel like everyone's just like we're just talking about sex. And that was definitely a big thing that uncle luke would say when he was defending two live crews he's like we're not about subjugating women we're not about like degrading women we're just talking about sex it's a thing everyone does you know and so we're just talking about so that was his like on paper argument yeah it's like dude uncle luke you're not dr ruth 
You know right. what I mean? Like everyone's no, just talking about, you know, it's like, no, 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 you're like, taking it to another level, thing. but I respect no, your, I respect the, but effort. like, so some of it has that vibe, but then the other half is like, it's hard to not be like, this is incredibly degrading to women. Yeah. This absolutely. is just like, you are just outlining in detail how it is a woman's role to sexually please a man. So like, the lyrics are fucking crazy. And they yeah. still, like, just preparing for this episode, still being like, whoa, like, damn, I can't believe that just happened. Yeah, it's, it's uh, bad, you know, and it goes back to the thing where it's like, I don't, I don't, uh, Agree with what they say, but I'll defend to the death their right to say it. You know, like the classic free speech <laughs> yeah. thing. It's like that. That really, really applies with a lot of Tulane crew stuff. Right, and and that's and that that actually kind of perfectly rolls into the next part of this uh, thing. So they have all this shit. They beat the trial. So like essentially, this is like I would say two live crew like the nasty as they want to be and then winning the trial i feel like that's probably the peak of two live crew because they just sold a shit ton of records and they just like fought for what they believed in and won so then immediately after that they do a follow-up called band in the usa and this album i'm only mentioning because there's a couple of funny things about it but to me this is kind of like really the start of the decline of them um this album it's you know the title is referencing the trial obviously they're 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 just exploiting the fact that they like won this trial you know um but the song like doesn't have really many hits except for the song banned in the usa yeah. and which is a play on bruce springsteen's born in the usa and it's actually pretty funny and i feel like springsteen did that character the like i don't support the lyrics yeah, but, but i support your right to, to say it. yeah because Springsteen, you know, Springsteen's always kind of like doing his little like his social conscious thing. And so he actually personally like granted the band permission to use the sample. So instead of born in the USA, it's banned in the USA. Ah. And the song is goofy as fuck, but it's interesting because there's hardly any rapping in it. It's mostly just samples of news outlets talking about the trial. And just right. clips of Uncle Luke defending two live crew and then clips of like these christian people talking shit about it and like that's the song um super weird it reminds me of this amazing pimp c song from ugk pimp c was in jail for a long time i don't remember why and when he finally came out he he came out with this song called i'm free and he sampled tom petty i'm free fallen but he cut off the the fallen <laughs> so like, just i'm free i'm free <laughs> and i was like this is so like this is so bad, but it's kind of amazing. And that's the vibe I get from the band. Like, band in the, in the US. USA. Like, that album, it really, I don't know, it's just not as good. Um, but the other big thing about this album is that this is the f band in the USA is the first album to feature the newly revised and now iconic black and white version of the parental advisory explicit content sticker. So that sticker, it wasn't the first album to get the sticker, but they hadn't quite decided what the sticker looked like. Yeah. And so the band in the USA is the first one because that black, and we were talking about it before, but at least for people of a certain generation, 
that, that sticker, sticker is was everything. a big fucking deal. Yeah, um, it was a huge that, selling point, and it looked yeah, cool. You know, it like, looked cool. I mean, people yeah. wear shirts of it. You know, eventually, like I feel like that kind of became a weird proto meme of like saying parental advisory, but then I don't know, like loud ass weed or like parental advisory, <laughs> blah blah blah, whatever you're you're inserting into it because the parental advisory is the the edge you need. Yeah, exactly. To then make your own stupid sticker. And the PMRC um, whole thing is is a culture dump because again now right. this like the parental advisory stickers are kind of a moot point because like no a no one really buys their CDs in stores anymore so like it's still surprising to me like when I go to like say like Amoeba uh, here in Hollywood and I see like a new release and I see that sticker on it because they still do it yeah and I'm just like whoa that's weird it. you don't even think about it because like everyone gets the music online yeah. you know but yeah that, that was yeah. that's a huge huge thing and it's interesting that that album was the first to get like the right. sticker you know yeah these and 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 yeah i think maybe the pmrc could probably be a dump because you go down there and it, it is so specific to the time and i feel like another thing is that probably artists certain artists at the time sometimes they would even put it bigger than it needed to be as a selling point and i feel yeah. like now with artists because they still have it because i guess it's a legal thing it's it's so much more subtle because now it's just like yeah, we have to have this fucking sticker on our album, but like, it's not cool to like brag about it anymore. But there totally was a cool bragging moment, right. and that's part of Two Live Crew. Well, then there was, you know, there were certain CDs back then that would have it printed. Like, they, it wouldn't even be a sticker on the actual wrapper. It was like the sticker right. itself was printed onto the album, right. or, like onto exactly. the insert. And I feel like that's just like, like even if you didn't need the sticker, like if you felt like maybe you weren't going to earn one, you like print it on there just to like just give do the it appearance. just because. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, so yeah, so, so really, these are like this is like kind of the bulk of like this the big their moment i mean this moment you know it was you know late 80s early 90s ish or you know around 94 um and i don't know that it, it was just a big deal to to rap and it was you, you had this first amendment speech this it, it increased the level of explicit like then probably them and nwa kind of like that those two forces really kind of were very influential in terms of like at least gangster rap i would say yeah um, now obviously Dre was in NWA, so like he's kind of perpetuating that too, but then just sort of, I feel like NWA didn't have the big booty women part. So then no, it when was you more get of to like the violence and like drugs right, so, and drug dealing right. and fuck the police and all right. That. But when you get to, you mentioned like the big pimping video at that point, it's kind of like this, almost like the merging of like the two live crew aesthetic, but then the street cred drug dealer vibe, pimp vibe yeah. of Jay-Z. Um, well, and one thing that Two Live Crew did is because they went through all that shit legally, they, you know, because they went through it, no one else had to afterwards. Yes. And that's a huge thing to remember. And then also with those stickers, once they started putting those stickers on CDs, music, I mean, still Two Live Crew is like the dirtiest, but like you really didn't need to care or watch what you put on your albums anymore because now you just throw the sticker so it's okay. You know what I mean? Yes. Whereas before, to have such a, a nasty, dirty, vulgar, you know, lyrical album come out like you know without any kind of warning that you know opens up the argument we're like should we have that but once you put the sticker on it's like well fuck it now we can put whatever in there because all you're going to do is throw a sticker on it and you did right. your due diligence you know so it right. kind of opens up the yeah. doors for everyone to do whatever the fuck they want and then that kind of brings this interesting thing which i think is what contributes to sort of their decline is that then the thing that was edgy is now passe and so right. now that they did it to such an extreme 
now you have so many nasty rappers and you have all this stuff. So like their style kind of like fell out of favor because then it just literally it went it went beyond all the social issues. And it was just like that's sort of like not cool to be that ridiculous. Yeah. Um, And I will I'm going to get into like a little bit of that sort of or actually, you know, we'll do it now since we're already there and I'll switch. I'll go back to this other lawsuit that I find to be very interesting. But uh, another part of their decline in popularity um, was that at the same time you had you start in the early 90s, like that 90 to 94, 96, whatever you had this what is referred to as like the golden age of hip hop. And you had like Biggie, Tupac, De La Soul, Tribe Called Quest, Outkast, especially those last three. They were kind of changing hip hop in and like really changing the boundaries of like what the lyrical content could be, what hip hop was, conscious hip hop. Like we're going to actually talk about social issues. We're going to respect women. We're going to talk about like maybe the word woke comes to mind. (laughs) Yes. But it was, but that's, what's funny is it wasn't woke. It was conscious back then. It wasn't exactly. It wasn't you're so woke. It was, you got conscious bars, you know, backpack rap. Um, But still, even though that, that might not necessarily be everyone's cup of tea, during that golden era of hip hop, there's just still so many like amazing crowd pleaser songs that, you know, exist in that time. That's kind of impossible to not find something you like about it because then not only that was the lyrical content, but just literally the lyrical technique started developing so much quicker. And two live Curry was doing this nursery rhyme shit. So like, (laughs) it's funny because they fought so much for hip hop, but then at the same time, then the new generation was sort of like, V- kind we of seen too live. Yeah. You're, it's like your tokenism. You're you're kind of perpetuating all these bad stereotypes. We want to move past it. So yes. even though they kind of like paved the way, I mean, and that ultimately like just being objective. I mean, I mean, two live crew isn't gonna. It's it's there's not a lot of substance. I mean, it really is about sex and this party environment. Yeah. So like yeah. there's kind of a cap to like how much you can actually listen to that you know you want to go you want a party vibe you put on me so horny you put on face down ass up but it's just not going to hit you the same way like like if you're uh, walking like a around truly like developed if, <laughs> album is like an outcast album or yeah or like tribe if, called if, you Quest are, if you're riding the bus or like um you know just like walking to the store or whatever and you got your headphones in and you're just like casually listening to two live crew like by yourself like what the fuck's wrong with you yeah like <laughs> studying the lyrics studying the production i mean and i've, I've studied the production but yeah, yeah well it's yeah. totally but it is totally <laughs> like what are you doing and that's what i was almost thinking the last few days I was like what am i doing which i've had many times during culture dumps swing revival comes to mind what the fuck am i doing listening to this music um but then the other kind of contribution to the decline is sort of a uncle luke kind of i feel like he sort of had this classic like where do you go you you kind of hit the ceiling where do you go from here i feel like he you know the dude definitely has a rep i think he kind of got this ego to him he's controlling everything and so just they just couldn't really sustain um that level of popularity but yeah. one interesting other big lawsuit they had which is way more of just sort of like an actual like not like as exciting but to me kind of interesting is um they sampled the Roy Orbison classic Oh Pretty Woman which you know also was the inspiration for that, that fucking just makes Julie me Roberts nervous. movie like just like <laughs> right. oh shit what is two live crew going to do with this song <laughs> right so then they so they have they write a song called Pretty Women Pretty Woman and they and so it's funny because you know they we, we say with Bruce Springsteen, like Bruce Springsteen, like cleared the song for them for a band in the USA. 
the Roy Orbison estate did not allow them. Probably because that song wasn't about free speech. It was probably a dirty parody song about fucking. Yeah, so absolutely. Roy Orbison didn't want it to happen. They denied them the use of the sample. And then Two Live Crew went ahead and released the song. So Orbison's estate, they sued Two Live Crew. But then what's crazy is that Two Live Crew won. They won this because it was a parody because they were using the pretty woman melody. They were, it wasn't. And so it was considered a parody. So this actually established that parody of a song can qualify as fair use. That's like, that's like Coolio and weird Al with Amish paradise. Same kind of thing happened. Yeah. And I had to, and I actually had to look up. I was like, what is so fair use just for anyone who doesn't know. I didn't know fair use is a legal doctrine that permits use of copyrighted material without having to get permission from the copyrights holders. So another example is sometimes like you can use a clip of something if it's like, say, an educational, you could use a clip of a movie, like say it depicts like drug use. You're allowed to use it if you're doing like some anti-drug campaign educational video. Yeah. But but basically they're by setting this precedent, they're saying parody. You don't have to get the sample cleared. So it's funny. That is also like sort of in its own way, like a very significant like legal win for artists you know yeah yeah um, no, just, definitely. just not in I mean, the same headline grabbing way yeah and it, it's weird though and that's a thin line to tread the parody thing you know but, right. but i mean and i feel like because their song title was so similar to pretty yes. woman like that like definitely lent you know some credit to their argument as well like whereas if they were just using that sample and the song was just completely arbitrary like if they called the sample throwing the dick for instance and they used Mm -hmm. pretty woman they probably would have lost but because they were using a lot of the things from the song in their song it was considered a parody right but what's also funny about that pretty woman song the original which i love that song is that it's also like I mean, it's from a guy who's just like looking at this woman walking down the street and kind of like, yeah, it's funny because it's like 50s and it's Roy Orbison and it's cute. But you're like, it kind of feels like he's still checking her out. Yeah, he's checking her out. It's almost like this natural progression. It's like, I mean, what are you thinking about that pretty woman? Like, what do you you know? It's like his is subtle and like, you know, he's not saying it out loud. uh, you're only a couple decades away from being, you know, you know, between Roy Orbison and Two Live Crew, you know, the, 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 the evolution of, of man, so to speak. And there you have it, uh, folks. Culture Dump's just shitting on your favorite musical icons. Um, <laughs> Roy Orbison, big perv. Anyway, so this is we're getting sort of to the wrap up point of this, because at this point, for all the reasons we said, there are moments in the sun has kind of happened. The dump has happened right yeah this is this is the dump has occurred so two life crew breaks up in 2000 right but there is one thing that is definitely worth mentioning is that uncle luke because he's kind of the brains and he's the one that really pushed the sex kind of vibe of the whole thing he starts this thing solo and it's this like variety show type thing it's called uncle luke's freak show and this and is this the shit fucking shit that Park crazy. sent to me. Yeah, you yeah. sent this to me like when we were mentioning to you, like, you ever hear about this? And I was like, yeah. no. And this falls in line with like a Snoop Dogg's Doggy Style DVD that yes. he did for Girls Gone Wild. But this is like way extreme right. shit. And, and, we, and Girls Gone Wild, we keep mentioning it because like 
it feels like that one's got to be a dump too. Ryan, I know Ryan's doing a ton, figuring out all sorts of crazy shit about that guy. But yeah, maybe uh, like yeah. it's even like and because this was like a late '90s thing, so like. I feel like maybe that even the girls gone wild, like that spring break vibe was just becoming influential. So like people were just kind of taking perversions to a new level. And um, well, and anyway, perversion was, was like Uncle Luke's brand. You know what I mean? Like right. dirty it's, sex shit is like his bread and butter. So it only right. makes sense that he would do this next project. Right. But when you think even and again, going back to the uncle thing, like Uncle Luke's <laughs> freak show just sounds like some shit you should stay away from. Yeah. It's like, a roadside attraction. I'm going to keep uncle? on driving past. Yeah. Um, but basically, it was basically rap, like he featured rappers he liked, and then just had porn happening. Like he just would have <laughs> fucking, and then just it would just be, he'd just throw a party and film it. He would just throw a sex party porn and film it. So the really infamous clip is of Jay Z. So he's interviewing a young Jay Z. So Jay Z is like, I mean, I don't know what exactly the era is like, but he probably I had think some it's hits. Ninety nine problems. It's definitely pre 99 problems, but like I feel like Hard Knock Life he's had under his belt at this point. Like he's yeah, pretty maybe. popular. Something. And he, Uncle Luke is, and y'all can find this. Look up Uncle Luke's Freak Show, Jay Z. Um, not on, this one's not on YouTube. No. I think it's like Vimeo. <laughs> but basically, he's interviewing Jay Z about his rap career on a couch. And right next to him, this fully nude woman is fingering herself completely nothing censored about it and no, jay-z and, and they're both <laughs> they're asking questions each other about the rap game and their business and their next album and then they'll just look over and jay-z says some shit like he's like she's really doing it or and you're like it's awkward as hell crazy yeah stuff. it's super crazy it's super awkward because like you know again jay-z like we mentioned at the top of this episode the big pimpin video like you know like just girls everywhere and stuff this is different this isn't like Lights, camera, okay, girls, ready, action. Like, this is literally just, like, someone masturbating on the couch next to him. Like, just, yeah. like, you're on the couch talking to someone, and someone is butt naked next to you masturbating. And, and then, like, oh, I think that another woman comes Another in. woman comes in, too, and they start going, out. Yeah, they start going at it. I think that's when they start, the interview shifts, and they start commenting on the action. Yeah, well, and it's Jay-Z, crazy. it's like he doesn't really want to look, you know? Like, like right. he's like... He's like, I'm being interviewed by Uncle Luke. Like, he probably had some, you know, level of respect for Uncle Luke and everything that Two Life Crew had done. So, to him, it was probably like a big thing. He obviously knew what the show was going to be like before he went right. on it. But, like, to actually be there and then having two women having sex next to you while you're like trying to talk about like your next move in your career. And he's just like, yeah, um, uh, uh, and like uh, just yeah. like drifts off like and then like like shakes his head and gets back to the interview and right. it's like hilarious and it's like the whole reason why we wanted to even do this episode is to talk about this fucking like <laughs> 10 minute clip video. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean it's one of those things where like you're like I could just imagine you know some inter someone interviewing Jay-Z now I'm bringing that up and then like Jay-Z's bodyguards like, just over yeah. yeah like escorting him like he knows it's out there, but and then you're just thinking about him and Beyonce and like the image he has now, and you're like, okay, oh, yeah, Jay Z definitely was going for that like pimp image and Big putting pimpin', himself, baby. and then he got with like 
Beyonce and you're just like I think Uncle Luke called his bluff. Shit. I think he's like, Oh, you're down with all this shit? Well, let's see how you do talking to me when two women are literally having sex next to you on the couch. Right. He, he, and, uh, <laughs> he called his bluff and uh, he straightened his act out. <laughs> but but basically, yeah, like I feel like that was dump worthy because it essentially he went from like two live crew to like making weird low budget porn that just happened to feature one of the biggest rappers of all time. Of all time. So yeah. it's just it's super bizarre. Yeah. Um, but, and that's that's why it's a dump, folks. It's a it's a yeah. dump because there's so much stuff in the story of Two Live Crew. There's the again, the free speech, First Amendment, anti censorship stuff, which we love. You know, there's like the how upset people got at a certain time and the frenzy that was created that in no way would happen now. We know that for a fact because there was a song that came out that was super, super vulgar and like only a year ago and you know, everyone already forgot about it. You know what right. I mean? And it was it was like a flash in the pan thing that everyone kind of freaked out about for a second. But it's just right. not going to happen that way. And it was very influential. And it was like in a lot of ways, like their trials are landmark, you know, and like yeah. set a lot of precedents with how we deal with censorship and art and how we view like what is obscene and what isn't. And it's it's really hard now to have something that you create be considered obscene. You know, right. you have to like really fucking try. And even then, someone will probably stand up for you from like the ACLU or something and get you off. So right. it's like. It's very interesting for for that reason, and also just it's fucking two live crew, dude. Like, how could we resist two uh, live crew? Right, do, do, doing a thing. Right, and then I mean, and then sort of my final thoughts is also just that that intersection of like we want to you know standing up for your First Amendment rights, and then also like where is this coming from? Is there this like racial issue involved? Um, you know, between the people that are sort of persecuting and the persecuted, but then also just the, then the subject matter itself. It's like especially looking back at it now, you're like, yes, I do believe in like this like artist rights thing, but then it's just not as like, it's not as uh, clean cut as you want it to be because like yeah, maybe no, in some your- stuff really pushes it. You maybe know? in you your to, mind, you're thinking yeah. like this, whatever this thing is that's going to fight for this artist First Amendment right, maybe in your mind, you idealize it as like, this is going to be this like pure concept, this thing that is like a, a righteous good that the oppressors yeah, a, a golden are, rule, are trying, yeah. are they're trying to censor it because it's the truth. And then it's like, no, it's about this dude singing about running trains on women and like <laughs> talking about her, how bad her pussy smells and how you're not going to go down and you're not going to eat that fishy smell. And you're like, Oh my God, this shit is like fucked up. Yeah. You're like, Whoa, you know what? On second thought, this is <laughs> bad. So again, yeah, yeah. you know, I, I, again, we have two live crew to thank for, uh, opening up the doors for rap to, to flourish without, um, you know, <laughs> Too much persecution. I mean, obviously, there's exceptions to that rule throughout time, right, but right. They, they really took the brunt of that. And uh, I will say rightfully so. You know, if any rap yeah. group ever deserved to have been brought to court to have to defend the integrity of their lyrics, it's two live crew. And that's why they're a culture dump. Absolutely. So, folks, make sure you follow us on Instagram at Culture Dumps. If you have a suggestion for a dump or just want to say hey, send an email on over to culturedumps at gmail.com. And for exclusive content like bonus episodes, research materials, and the like, make sure you subscribe to patreon.com slash culturedumps. I'm Ryan Lichten. This episode's been brought to you by Parks Miller. And if you ate it up, we dump it out.